Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Events over the past year have shone a light on racial inequality across the globe. Australia is no exception. This nation's journey towards a more just, equitable and reconciled identity still has a long way to go. With that in mind, and in a spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. I asked the Prime Minister, how good is Australia? Please explain. Life is changing in Australia because the pub is shut. Sucked in, fellas. I actually find it gobsmacked. I will call it a personal nightmare. Tell the Prime Minister to go and get... This is changing all around the world. I accept your nomination. The authority is total. And I rejected that approach. It's all about acknowledging how far we've come. He's all tip and no iceberg. Like a really scary wooden puppet. He was drunk. That's not true. Not now, not ever. You're a classic space invader. Hey, social climbing sycophant. You should be ashamed of yourselves. Oh, fair shake of the sauce bottle, mate. Taste of democracy, very good. (laughs) Hello and thanks for being with us again for another episode of Democracy Sausage, which comes to you twice weekly actually from the ANU's Australian Studies Institute, the Crawford School of Public Policy and the School of Politics and International Relations. I'm Mark Kenny, and it's my pleasure to welcome back Peter Martin AM because this episode we're going to delve into some interesting new thinking about the Australian economy. An economist, a broadcaster, a journalist and now business and economy editor at The Conversation Peter is also a visiting fellow at the aforementioned Crawford School here at ANU. Welcome back, Peter. Good day, Mark. Uh, when we say welcome back, we should make the point for disclosure that we used to work in uncovered safe proximity to each other uh, about uh-huh. two years ago when you were the chief political correspondent for the um, Sydney Morning Herald and The Age, and I was the economics editor of The Age. So it's definitely a welcome back. It is, and and in fact, we've had you on the on the podcast a few times since then, and it's always good to have you because I've always regarded you as not just um, uh, you know a very good economist, but also a very good communicator of economics, and that's yeah, well, just there, such there a critical. Yeah, well, there should be events in your your things. Can I say that? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Go go for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's in the right. discussions we would have in the pressure cooker environment. This is the thing, you see, people who say, "Oh, newspapers." you know, got this wrong or that wrong, I don't think they realise the miracle that the production of stuff in real time Mm. before 6pm or whenever it is, um, is. And uh, we were both sort of honoured to be part of that. Well, I I absolutely agree, and and particularly so in the advent of the digital age when you've effectively got rolling deadlines. So you've got news going out contemporaneous with events. And even the the actual the print deadlines. Uh, in some newspapers, they used to be 11 p.m. The Age used to have a 1 a.m. edition. Uh, oddly, technology has brought them forward so yeah. that people 
have to, and the the events tend to happen. Uh, you know, as we've seen with events this week, tend to happen. You know, late in the afternoon, mm. and the ability, of course, terror uh, does it. The ability to quickly synthesize stuff, and on the whole, get it right, is. Uh, Remarkable. But, yes, uh, and if you don't get it right, uh, then um, perhaps change it as soon as you uh, realise that you haven't. Bit hard in the days of printed papers, though. And also, I think which uh, lasts when forever. I think well, that's true. But I, I also think that um, it's it's interesting as a commentator, as I was so much doing so much analysis on a daily basis, real uh, time analysis, yeah. which is the hard thing. It yeah. is hard because you have to make judgments about whether. Uh, yeah. a given uh, stunt or or statement by the prime minister or opposition leader, whatever it might be is consistent, whether it works, whether it was ill thought through or not, you make some judgments about it and the next day or later that day you will see your contemporaries um, from the other mastheads uh, opining on it as well. And I'd be lying if I didn't say there were some times where I didn't think, hmm, that's a better take on it than mine or, 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 uh, when, or perhaps or I've overcooked this. Or whether you were sweating this. overnight mm. thinking, should I have said that? Is everyone <laughs> else going to say that something that I've missed out? Um, I would be lying. <laughs> but, there are, but there are times when uh, you're on the upside of that as well, where you just – and we were just talking before we pressed record here, we were just talking about budget lockups, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, go into the budget lockup and you uh, pour through these mass- this massive documents and you have to make some judgments about it. I used to write uh, often the, you know, the splash story and a, a lead and, and commentary, commentary piece. Yeah. And it, it you don't really have enough time to talk to anyone else. You don't have access uh, to too many people, and to the extent that you do, you really are just up against the sheer quantity of words you have to churn out. So, yeah, you do uh, spend a lot of time that night worrying about whether you've whether you've gone hard enough or gone too hard or or, or whatever it might be. And I remember that budget back in twenty thirteen fourteen. The, you know, the first hockey budget, the, yeah. the first Abbott budget, which was the one that we had to make a judgment on. I made the wrong judgment, I think. I, I thought it was good. Um, I, you know, I thought, oh, yeah, they, you know, they're, they're cutting back on the uh, growth in the pension and so on. This is all good. And uh, it was certainly wrong as far as the public judgment went, but uh, we only knew that, you know, the next day when everyone said, you can't do that. <laughs> well, you know why I've mentioned it, of course, because I think I got it right. Um, <laughs> you know, well, that, that's just good. human psychology. Um, no, but uh, what I saw in it was the the quite proud statement that they were cutting $80 billion out of health and education. And I remember saying to the editor at the what time, a boast. this is the lead. You know, this is the lead right here. You were now, right. I don't think anyone else led with that. No, no and no. one of the reasons they didn't, uh, sorry, we'll get to the economy, which we'll yeah. begin talking about. One of the reasons they didn't in that budget is um, if you look through all of the budget papers, which is what the wonks, which is what mm. the, the economics writers, what I did, right? You look through the budget papers, that figure wasn't there. Mm. We have cut $80 billion from health, education and, mm. and welfare. Um, it was in what we call the glossy, which is a, a sort of, uh, you know, it's like a real estate brochure. It you know, is, the yeah. It was in that. It's a now, pricey of, of, of the budget yeah, and, now, and, and usually a positive spin on it too. That's right. And, well, they thought it was positive. It's directed at, you know, a, a general audience who uh, is too, um, you know, non-specialised to bother with the budget documents. Well, of course, all of us wonky people, right, you know, myself, Ross Giddens, Tim Colbatch, you know, mm. all, all of these people are uh, we didn't read the glossy. 
That's why we missed it. Yeah, well, that's possibly true. Whereas I had to write the front page and I had to get it done quite quickly. So I needed to say, what's there? You were doing retail, (laughs) serious retail communication. You used the retail document and that happened to be where the story was. I did look at the other documents too. What was your own brilliance too? I I look at the other documents too where I turn to my economics editor who's sitting next to me. So what does this mean? Yeah, is this for real? Now- we touched last week on the podcast on Roscano's latest book, Reset, in which he argues that we can use this historic moment to make long-needed changes for the better. The logic of this is pretty sound. Um, it's a matter, of really, of political will, right? So almost a year ago, as the pandemic took hold, uh, and I'm going to quote Aaron Duddy Roy here because uh, I'm, I can see a look of puzzle on your face, Peter. Um, I'm going to ca- quote Aaron Duddy Roy here because she wrote a spectacular essay for the Financial Times Way back uh, in April of last year, excoriating governments, particularly the uh, the far-right uh, Hindu nationalist Modi government, for its uh, handling of the crisis in the beginning uh, and for what that crisis showed. Now, I, I can still see this puzzle on your face, but let me just roll this out and I think then it will become clear. She said that, um, the pan- that pandemics historically forced humans to break with the past and to imagine a world anew. Quote, This one is no different. It's a portal, a gateway between one world and the next. We can choose to walk through it, dragging our carcasses of our prejudice and hatred, our avarice, our data banks and dead ideas, our dead rivers and smoky skies behind us. Or we can walk through lightly with little luggage, ready to imagine another world. I just think it's it's such a, a fantastic summation of the hinge point that we are at um, with our economy now. And I raise it because you've written a piece um, that is a bit more specific. It's about the Australian economy and it's about what Josh Frydenberg might do now, what the government might do now as led by the Treasurer Josh Josh Frydenberg. Um, And so I just wanted to sort of uh, use that, that, um, that idea that we are at least blessed with the opportunity of imagining Australia refresh, um, looking in, 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 in a whole range of areas. We could look at climate change, for example. The world's changing on that right now. Um, and we could look at, uh, for example, longstanding problems in the budget and use this moment to address them. And that's what you've done with this piece uh, that you've written for the conversation, uh, talking about what Josh Frydenberg can do. One of the things you say, I suppose it's the key argument you say, is that he can drive a stake through the heart of unemployment. He can kill it. And it has happened before. Now, as Roy said, uh, and as uh, as I observe, these moments happen rarely. In Australia, the, the last moment we had was about 30 years ago with the early 90s recession. Um, when they do, everything is open. And uh, I was thinking about the, the quote you read and what would have been unthinkable? the kind of uh, lockdowns that we saw in Victoria. Uh, The Reserve Bank Governor addressed the National Press Club earlier this year and and said uh, he was in, I've forgotten which country it was, I think it might have been Canada, for some international meeting when uh, China locked down all of its citizens where the uh, coronavirus was. And he was wondering, could that ever happen in a democracy? Okay, that's how much things have changed. Mm. We've been trying forever to cure cancer, we've been trying forever to cure, maybe we haven't been trying hard enough, but to cure the various diseases of ageing. We've been trying forever, uh, maybe with not that much seriousness, 
to uh, get a vaccine against the coronavirus. We'd never done it. We did it in six months. Mm. So, so yeah, it's extraordinary. Um, these moments, uh, I mean, the, the 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 trite cliche is never waste a crisis, yeah. but it, it's in a crisis that the previously unthinkable gets put on the table. And just a, a really minor instance is that uh, we now have an increase in uh, New Start, which is now called Job Seeker. Okay, mm. that was previously impossible, and and in a- fact, and yet all, all people are worrying about now, and, and you know, fair enough, is the quantum. They 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 they're not remembering that a year before, that just wasn't something. It anyone was off was, the table. Yeah. 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 And in fact, the last election, neither side took a, an increase to the dole to the election. Well, Labor was, uh, took a, a promise to investigate the matter yeah, yeah. to and the election. That's right. And I sort of had a habit of asking treasurers at the post-budget lunch why they had not done anything about unemployment, just because I wanted to establish a kind of a you know consistent question and and get both sides to address it. And in 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 both cases, you got kind of vague statements. Uh, the best form of welfare is a job, which is the standard you know line you get from the government. Um, you got the kinds of, uh, as you say, the kind of uh, vague promise to look at this when we're in government from the opposition, um, because it was said to be too expensive, and presumably there wasn't the you know the political payoff, the political yeah. dividend there. And you do things as you have done them before. Yeah. Um. partly in Australian politics because. You're not going to be in office ten years down the track to um, to, to get a payoff for a big change. It's just going to be um, work, mm. really, and mm. uh, you know create losers as, as well as winners. Now, w- w- this is what happened thirty years ago. So um, this is Bernie Fraser, Bernie and, Fraser, yeah. head of the Reserve Bank. Um, Keating's mate, well, Keating no longer thought he was his mate after this, and it, it, indeed it contributed uh, to Keating losing the election in '96 to John Howard. Um, we were coming out of recession. Uh, recession had, of course, uh, pushed up unemployment, as you expect, and killed inflation, temporarily dulled inflation. You know, I think prices were falling. They mm. weren't rising. Uh, inflation had uh, been uh, throughout the previous decade as high as 10%, as high as 8%. We find that hard to believe now, and that's the point. Yeah. What, what Fraser did, this is recorded in various... Um, uh, sort of recollections of people at the time, he explained to board members of the Reserve Bank that having gone so far, having created this, if you like, scorched earth and, among other things, destroyed inflation, he was not going to take his foot off its throat. That is to say he was going to finish the job and kill inflation forever. And what he did, when inflation started to rise... 93, it started to rise. And uh, in 94, in one of the months in, in 94, he, without warning really, increased interest rates by uh, three quarters of a percent. We wouldn't believe that now. No, right? that's 75 <laughs> basis points. It's, it's, we did see a couple of movements of that magnitude and a bit higher in the times. GFC, but uh, generally you don't do it. And then uh, in October, a few months later, he increased them by 100 basis points, by another percent. And then in November, he increased them by another 100 points. In other words, he was determined, in that case, at, at a cost to jobs, at a cost of recovery, that he was going to get something out of this which was going to destroy inflation forever. He did that um, the, uh, on the, uh, the uh, high unemployment at the time was uh, unpopular. Paul Keating lost the election. 
Um, by the time inflation was dead, uh, it, early in John Howard's term, he could uh, uh, enjoy uh, continued falls in interest rates. But um, uh, inflation has never again been anywhere like it, uh, what it was. He took advantage of that opportunity to salvage something. That was then, 30 mm, years ago. Mm. Yeah, so that, and, and I think Keating used the term at the time, we've broken the inflation stick, I think he used to say. I might have. It was certainly, it was um, his uh, successor, uh, Peter Costello, who referred to uh, uh, killing the inflation dragon. The inflation dragon is is uh, is dead. Um, now, that was unpleasant at the time. It certainly involved a, a change from orthodoxy, putting up interest rates in a recovery, but if you think of the long-term benefits, now nowadays, and yeah, people expect modest wage rises each year and they expect prices to go up a bit each year, but these days no one expects rapid inflation, which does cause problems. You know, in the Whitlam era, it approached 20%. Now, that, that's a sort of problem. And it was, uh, it was approaching, uh, uh, it was uh, 10% and, and thereabouts in the 80s. So he achieved something lasting forever. I'm saying that uh, the the present treasurer Peter Costello, uh, the present Josh treasurer Josh Frydenberg, yeah. not through um, any uh, any anything other than circumstance, is uh, presented with another opportunity, not one he could have planned for. Yeah. Now you've and and that is in relation not to inflation in this case, but to unemployment. Uh, we've and we can come to what. What is full employment, and what and and how that impacts on inflation, mm. for example, wage inflation, other inflation. Um, but let's just stick with Frydenberg for a sec, just to set the scene. Um, you say that he does have. There are some signs in his past behaviour that he does have this reformist zeal within. He certainly him. does, with success. Now, people will argue about the success, but I'll, I'll set out three things, and they're trivial compared to. Uh, breaking the back of unemployment, right, to, to permanently lowering unemployment. But uh, he, he took on the tech giants and won. Now, people will say he didn't win against Facebook and Google. All I will say is that they are now more or less happily paying big amounts of money to news organisations and they weren't going to before. It's not the first time he's done that. Uh, it, we used to be able to get goods. Uh, we used to be able to get services from overseas, uh, Netflix, uh, uh, Amazon services and so on, uh, streaming services. And um, he introduced the Netflix tax. People told him that they would never pay it. I've, I've linked to pieces where people say they'll never pay it. So this is paying. This is next Netflix paying GST. Yeah, collecting, collecting GST and, and passing and it on. Yeah. Uh, to level the playing field with uh, Australian retailers. They did it. A few months later, uh, uh, sorry, a few years later, um, he uh, introduced it for parcels. Um, these are things that Amazon uh, delivers to your house, low-value parcels, less than $1,000, which most of the Amazon parcels are, mm. uh, were exempt from GST. Uh, people said again, Amazon will never pay it. They're quietly paying it. Um, he has taken on, in those cases, big tech and achieved what people thought was impossible, mainly by changing the debate, by asserting that something is possible, asserting that they'll do it, um, 
working the media, working other people, building a case until, if you look at what, what happened in, in the Facebook thing, the, the sort of final compromise, you know, where Facebook paid media organisations, we're reading it in the terms of the debate that Frydenberg set, yeah. which is uh, not whether they should pay, but how they should pay. So um, he has shown a willingness to make history uh, where he thinks it's needed. Nothing on the scale of what uh, I and uh, also Roscoe and I were talking about, though. Right. Well, look, let's take a quick break and we'll come back to the detail of what you're talking about in terms of this unemployment thing. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hi, I'm Sharon Bessel. Policy Forum Pod is the podcast for those who want to dig a little deeper into the policy challenges facing Australia and its region. Each week we bring together expert analysis to tackle the big issues facing our region and to propose policy solutions. It's insightful, it's positive and it's always fun. Policy Forum Pod is out every Friday. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your pods. Or find us at policyforum.net slash podcasts. Welcome back. Now, we were talking before about Josh Frydenberg and whether he's got the, the steel in his spine for this fight that you're advocating and you're saying he can break the back of or what was it, kill permanent uh, um, long-term unemployment? It is possible uh, for him to put his neck, he'd put his foot on the neck of unemployment in the same way as uh, Bernie Fraser did with inflation. Now, to, to understand this, to get a sense of it, you need to be old, not quite old enough to be a, a subject of the uh, Aged Care Royal Commission, but old. Um, up until the early 70s, uh, up until 72, inflation in Australia averaged right through from the end of the Second World War, decades, two, sorry, unemployment averaged 2%. Two, mm. not five, not six, not eight, two. That's over that entire period. There were various big changes that happened at that time. There were the oil crises and so on. Uh, we don't uh, quite know why, but from then on, the sort of uh, average rate, uh, what people believe to be the floor, uh, in fact, under unemployment, shot up. And uh, unemployment averaged 6.8% for all of the decades that followed. That's a very big change. Now, when we had unemployment rate of 2%, New Zealand had an unemployment rate of 1%. Now, there are people who say... During a time when we had a fixed exchange rate. A fixed, uh, we did. Yeah. Uh, also, by the way, during a time when we had massive migration on mm. a scale that, that you know, is a proportion of the population that we've never seen since. Uh, for those people who say that uh, migrants push up unemployment, they certainly didn't do it then. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, we had very low unemployment and... And people don't always realise that there always has to be some unemployment. Now, I'm not trying to sound like Jesus here. The poor will always always be with us. There always, though, has to be some unemployment. Reason is, 
you leave a job. Uh, you don't want to take the very first job that comes along. And even if you did, it might take a week or two to come along. You probably want to take the job that's right for you, that you'll make the most contribution that'll work for you. That might take six months. Now, we work out the unemployment rate by surveying people. And when the statistician comes along, these days it's online, asks you, uh, have you searched for work in the last so many months? Have you worked? And you'll have to say, I have searched for work. Um, uh, I, I'm not in work and you will be unemployed. So you can never get the unemployment rate down to zero. There's always what, what we would call frictional unemployment. Yeah. Now, the frictional unemployment was, up until the early 70s, regarded as very low, less than 2% because unemployment averaged 2% then. We've come to regard it in the decade since. It's generally been regarded as 5%, that you can't get unemployment down below 5% for long, and we haven't. Yes, I mean, this was pretty much the orthodoxy in, in, in political that and was, economic journalism, yeah. as you'd often say, well, The essentially, natural rate of unemployment. Yeah, essentially, 5% unemployment is full employment. That was, yeah. that was the belief. Yeah. Uh, and you could get it below that, and we did uh, briefly during the mining boom, but it was thought- but it but, comes with yeah, risks when you do that, yeah, right? Yeah, it comes with inflation risks because in order to, to actually fill the jobs, employers uh, need to offer higher wages to persuade Mark to move after a week instead of after six months, right? Right. So um, it, that was regarded as uh, stoking inflation. It would be too hard and 5% was adopted as the target until uh, just before coronavirus. Uh, the Reserve Bank announced in uh, November no, uh, 2019, that um, its calculation suggested the uh, uh, there's a complicated acronym for it, which I won't use if you want to look it well, up. Well, I was going to make a joke about going to Nauru rather than yeah, going to Nehru. Right. What does it stand for? It's the Non-Accelerating non Inflation Rate of Unemployment. That's right. Yeah. So so that that's what people call the natural rate of unemployment or full employment, right? Um, the Reserve Bank said its calculation suggested it had fallen that uh, the uh, natural rate was 4.5%. Now, that's a lot lower than 5 And by the way, something we haven't achieved in about a, a decade. And even and, then, and, it was And yet temporary. it's worth noting at this point that prior to the coronavirus crisis, the US was operating at, what, 3.5% yeah. unemployment. And, and what happened in the US was they too have been estimating the Nauru, right? Mm. And every time they've estimated it, uh, they've got a lower unemployment rate, and then they've revised their estimate. They've got a lower, and it went down and down and down. It was 3.5%. It had been heading down, so it probably would have headed down further. 3.5%. Not 5%, mm. not 4.5%. Now, Is their measure is, uh, the same? I mean, it won't be identical to ours, uh, but would you say it's any less reliable of their uh, labour market? It's not less reliable, but uh, you, you've got to uh, add a margin for the uh, portion of the population they have in prison. So, and what about undocumented? Um, they, I don't know about that. Mm. I do know that the the effect of uh, the imprisoned population is actually, uh, I worked it out once, but it, it, it's actually significant. Um, so that is to say, the US can have a certain unemployment rate, Australia can have a certain unemployment rate, uh, but if you compare the proportion of the population of working age in work which is, if you like, a truer measure 
because, uh, you know, people who are in prison are neither employed nor unemployed, hmm. uh, y- you'll find that uh, Australia does better against the US uh, than the unemployment figures suggest. Nonetheless, they, uh, they got their figure down uh, on any measure much lower um, than Australia. Now, what I am about to reveal is that Nehru, this rate, isn't good enough. And here's why. It's a slight mathematical argument. There's, there's not too much uh, to it. Um, that uh, The acronym you just read, the, the uh, or just the, recited the, from memory. The, the, the uh, non-accelerating inflation yeah, rate. It's the non-accelerating inflation mm. rate. Now, we need to accelerate inflation. Inflation is at the moment 0.9%. An annual basis, wage growth is just one point four percent on yeah. an annual basis. We uh, have targets. Uh, the target is uh, the Reserve Bank and Treasurer have agreed on a target. Inflation should be between two and three percent, where it hasn't been for a while. And the Reserve Bank should use monetary policy to the extent that it can. It can't to... use that much now, but no. it can't cut interest rates much further. That's, that's much the theory, now. isn't it? That, that yeah. its monetary policy decisions should be based on getting inflation within that band. Yeah, and. Um, in this case, it will, it will need uh, help from uh, government spending or tax cuts mm. um, to do it. But inflate, we actually need to get wage growth back to where people will feel comfortable. They don't feel comfortable with 1.4%, which, by the way, for many people means no wage rises for years, right? Mm. That's, yeah. that's your average, right? Um, now, this is a point Garneau's been making, yes. actually, that if we don't do something about this soon, we are actually going to go past... The, uh, the 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 last recession, um, I think it was the Great Depression, uh, where we had stagnant wage growth for a, a length of period, a length of time, and we're about to go past that length of time unless we start to get some genuine wage growth in the economy now. And wa- Gano's making another important point related to that. Um, one of the things, so Gano says, you know, we need uh, to boost the economy, partly. Uh, because it's nice to boost the economy, partly because it'll help the government's finances, partly because it'll get people in jobs. Um, He sees two ways of doing it. One is to cut the unemployment rate big time. And the other is uh, all of this messy stuff that no one likes, you know, structural reform, changing industries, you know, all of that upheaval and so on. We had a lot of it in the 80s when uh, Ross Garneau was advising Bob Hawke. We cut tariffs, you Mm. know, we floated the dollar. We did all of those things. He is saying in his book that if you are to do that, you won't do it unless you can take the people with you. You will be able to take them with you if they feel they can get jobs. But the, the the mathematical point yeah. I was pointing out is sort of um, very important. So we need to accelerate inflation. In other words, we need to get unemployment, the unemployment rate below narrow, the natural rate, whatever you want to call it, below full employment. How low? Garneau in his book says 3.5%. But he makes this important point, which is the point in the U.S., we don't know how low we need to keep doing everything we can to push unemployment down until we get inflation of the kind we used so to have. So when it starts to give inflation a bit of a tickle, we know we're at no, the floor. Then you can stop. Yeah. Um, and by the way, if you get too much inflation, you can whack up interest rates a bit. That'll mm. be the day. Well, there's plenty so, of room to do that. <laughs> there certainly is. The room's all in one direction. Yeah. So so um, he, he doesn't know how low. We do know that the economy has worked. It worked extremely well 
when the unemployment rate was 2%, right? We do know it worked in New Zealand when the unemployment rate was 1%. How would the government do that? As you suggested, the, the Reserve Bank can't do much. It can't lower its uh, cash rate, which which drives mortgage rates uh, much further. Um I mean, by, mind you, we said that when they cut it to 0.25% and they said that was as low as it was going. They call that functional zero, don't they? Well, they yeah. did call it functional zero and then they cut it further to 0.1%, which is yes. the new functional zero. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, uh, negative rates uh, uh, are being used overseas. Um, the best way to do it is for the government to keep doing what it's doing. Now, that sounds like a, a trivial thing to say, but the government has promised not to keep doing what it's doing. It's said in the, the budget, it has a budget strategy section that it's required to have that uh, when unemployment gets a bit below, or its words, Safely exactly words, below comfortably, 6%. it's oh, comfortably, exact word, yeah. comfortably below 6%, it'll... Uh, uh, start, start tightening about. the budget, it'll start yeah. cutting back spending. Um, Garneau believes this is a false economy because um, I, I just did one calculation. If unemployment fell from its present 6.8% to 4.5%, which is less than the fall I'm talking about, you would save $4 billion a year in New Start. You'd have a whole lot of extra taxpayers, right? So um, his view is that you can shrink government debt as a proportion of GDP by, by making, ramping up GDP, yeah. getting people in jobs. It's good for them. It's good for us who buy their services, uh, listen to podcasts like this, uh, uh, and and uh, and so on. The funny thing is, Mark, you know, um, as I was writing those words, I, I, I sort of went back in time and I thought 20 years earlier I would have been writing that these people make the goods we use. Mm. Isn't that funny? Anyway, um, mm. <laughs> but, you know, our goods tend to be made overseas. Yeah. Now, yeah. So, but but uh, certainly the, the uh, there are plenty of services, as the Aged Care Royal Commission pointed out, that uh, can be provided, uh, you know, it will be consumed by people here and uh, will be provided by people here. So um, we need something very ambitious. That will need mean either further big tax cuts, continued big spending without stopping, Bigger government debt, certainly bigger government debt in absolute terms, mm. for much longer. Now, that's a bold strategy. Well, it's a strategy that- uh, By the way, it's a strategy other other treasurers might have been loath to consider, yeah, which it gets yeah. us back to what we're gets talking about. It gets us back about. to about Frydenberg, because Frydenberg has done things even in this crisis. I, I guess all countries have been forced to do new things, but Australia's done new things that have been quite effective, unlike- uh, a whole number of other countries. On a dime. So, you know, yeah. JobKeeper was invented yeah, wage subsidies, just like very, that. very, yeah. very quickly. Yeah. And people say, oh, you know, it's going to employers who'd never needed it and so on. Fair enough. But um, the point is that they knew it was going to be rough and ready, just like in the global financial crisis. Yeah. They knew some money was going to go to dead people or something, but that wasn't the point. Uh, and certainly this week's national accounts figures, which show uh, – uh, yet another rebound in the economy, uh, second uh, quarter in a row uh, after the recession uh, and uh, the rebound being led by private spending, consumer spending, tends to show that what Frydenberg and the Treasury did in terms of forcing money into people's hands, people who would have otherwise been unemployed, a lot of them got a pay rise mm. as a result of mm. JobKeeper to start with, and uh, you know, doubling uh, other payments, uh, government payments, um, has actually worked in that it's led to people spending. So 
that was bold. That was quick. And I'm pretty sure that uh, when the Reserve Bank suggested it to him, given the, the pressure of time to do something, he didn't blink. Yeah. Now, what do you think Philip Lowe, the governor of the, of the Reserve Bank, uh, what do you think he thinks? Because I, I know our, our old colleague Ross Gittins wrote a piece a couple of weeks ago trying to sort of read between the lines of, of what Philip Lowe says to kind of understand, you know, what, what's he not saying that indicates uh, a certain position. He's made some observations about the the, the NERU, the, the, the non-accelerating inflation rate of unemployment, uh, saying that he doesn't believe that anything above 4.5% is likely to add to inflation. Are we to infer from that that he's in the same school or school of thought or train of thought that you and others are now are now advocating that we can in fact drive unemployment down I lower so. before we get to prob- you know other problems showing up in the economy uh, his former words um we had a, a chat at the national press club uh, after his address and his his former words was not that you know four and a half percent is where you'll get inflation his former words was Anything above 4.5%, you have no risk of an increase in, fl- in inflation. That suggests you think it should be much lower. Now, we don't know what went on inside the Reserve Bank. I do know that when they do calculations like this, they produce a range of estimates. Mm-hmm. You would not expect a single point estimate and that the Reserve Bank has published one of them. I think it's likely that there are some estimates floating around inside the Reserve Bank suggesting something lower than yeah. 4.5%. You'd expect so. But the, the, the key point is we won't know until we try. Everything suggests that uh, the Reserve Bank Governor Phil Lowe and, and Ross Garneau, former uh, government advisor, are on the same page. Um, I think they, they both want... Uh, if you think about his uh, sort of employment contract, the governor of the Reserve Bank has been told in a written agreement, you know, signed by the treasurer and him, to uh, get inflation to between two and three percent. Now, so he's now, almost got a responsibility to do something to dish it up at the moment. He runs no. a risk of uh, leaving office with inflation never having been uh, in the centre high of enough that to band. get into the bank. Yeah. yeah. So, so if if you think of um, if you like the incentives on him. But he is not that kind of person. He is um, everyone who's had anything to do with him uh, describes him in extremely uh, good terms as a human being. His concern is that we can get far more out of out of the economy than we are. Now his toolbox at box, it's the the toolbox of the the cash rate is exhausted. He has other things he can do, and. Uh, what Garneau has suggested is that the government uh, spends this extra money, this, these extra hundreds of billions uh, of dollars, keeps doing it. And as I said, the spending can be two-way. It could be tax cuts, could be mm. spending. It doesn't really matter. Um, it funds it directly from the Reserve Bank. This hasn't happened before. What, what's happened before is we've had this fig leaf where the government has sold bonds to the private market, which are private banks, and then the Reserve Bank has bought it from them. So, so that's what they call the secondary market. So yeah. they're buying government bonds on the secondary market. And that's right. you're now proposing that perhaps they could, or maybe Garner's proposing. Garner's proposing that they it buy it directly. Primarily. Um, and, and the reason for cutting out the, the middle person is that when uh, private buyers buy it, it pushes up the value of the Australian dollar. Um, and our dollar is going uh, scarily high, really, if you're concerned about being competitive. Our, our dollar's 
going up to 80 cents where it hasn't been uh, for ages. Problem is, you see, that every other country is doing the kind of things that Garneau is suggesting. Uh, that means not every country can um, devalue, can become more competitive at, one, uh, at once, you know. They can, uh, the entire globe can only devalue against another planet, right? It can't. So um, that's another reason for us aggressively spending, because we can't cut the, the rates that matter, aggressively spending, funded by the Reserve Bank, until we get inflation. And that'll have a very big secondary benefit in that the lower dollar makes our goods competitive. Now, this is a, a bit of a, a sort of, uh, uh, you know, fool's errand to try and get competitive because, as I said, every other country's trying it. But we'd be not doing ourselves a service if uh, we uh, were one of the countries left with a high exchange rate because people would buy their things from elsewhere. All right, a final question. It's a bit of a double-barrel one. Um, again, on on uh, first on um, Philip Lowe and and reading between the lines or the hints he he occasionally uses, he has actually hinted in the past that workers should perhaps get a bit more bolshy, should get a bit more demanding. They ought to sort of ask for for higher pay mm. because he's obviously very conscious, as as uh, as you would expect, um, about that low wage inflation. Uh, that low wage growth, uh, that it is a problem. Um, but of course, you've got a lot of insecurity in the labour market. Yeah, There's a lot of insecurity you everywhere. You won't have that if there are jobs going everywhere. Yeah. So, um, you know, I will feel better. <laughs> you know. So that's the politics of it. Is so. Let's go to let's go to Frydenberg then. You've made the point that he's done some imaginative things. Um, We've seen some very influential treasurers in our time, Keating and, and Costello, for example. You know, commanding presences within their respective mm-hmm. governments. Is is Frydenberg a commanding presence within the Morrison government, or does he have the makings of a treasurer that could be that 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 uh, influential figure? Uh, what's your assessment of that? And 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 can he bring the party room with him? Well, you can give me yours as a, um, a political uh, observer. In my view, uh, he is uh, one of, if not the most impressive people in the parliament. Mm. Now, um, <laughs> that may not be the highest bar that there is, <laughs> right? But um, uh, nonetheless, uh, it's the case. He's a future leader. He has the opportunity now. Certainly, he has what it takes. Uh, he wouldn't have without. He wouldn't have had the opportunity without a crisis, right? Yeah. No one would listen to the Treasury suggesting something like this without a crisis. Um, he has the opportunity, though, as Treasurer, to do something bigger. That is something for which he will be remembered longer. If he is the person who cuts unemployment from the sixes that it's uh, been in to something way less than five. This will be a turning point remembered as the early 70s is remembered as a time when unemployment shot up and never went down. He will have been seen, just as among people who, who follow this closely, uh, the Reserve Bank governor at the time, Bertie Fraser is seen as the, the person who killed inflation. He will be seen as the person who killed unemployment. Now, that's a rather better thing <laughs> in my view. Uh, I'd rather that on my tombstone than he served a term or two as Prime Minister. So this is an opportunity uh, which is still there, okay? It hasn't gone away. Um, it will go away when we get How back quickly? to normal. 
Um, I think the minute the government starts tightening the budget again, mm. now what it is said in those budget documents is it'll start doing it when it's comfortably below 6%. Um, uh, I'm told that uh, the word comfortably uh, has a lot of wriggle room, but uh, if they actually start doing it, then we'll know the moment has passed and that we will live with an unemployment rate scarcely ever lower than 5% for the foreseeable future, till 30 years' time, whatever, when there's another crisis. Um, there's, until that window closes, there's the opportunity for them to keep the budget deficit big, to keep borrowing in the certainty that if they do it enough, there are going to be so many people working. Australia's going to be such a better place that the debt won't be that bad. But uh, the opportunity is open at the moment. And you don't imagine you'd see much in the way of austerity between now and whenever the election is anyway? Uh, no, well, a budget is very soon, of course. Mm -hmm. The budget's in May. Uh, yeah. We're... Uh, we're now in March. And there's talk there'll be two budgets between now and the election. I mean, we don't know that, well, of course. Well, I, I think there, there could be. I, you it know, would have to I, be I, an early one next yeah, year, but it's but, possible. But, but my guess is, I don't know your guess, that there won't be an early election this year. No, uh, that's for, my guess. Yeah, I all, mean, all, all, things all aren't going so reasons. well at the moment. Yeah, so so, so that, and, and I, I think you're right. I think that uh, we won't see austerity before the election. So that holds the window open mm, a bit longer. But what the Treasurer can do, same as the Reserve Bank Governor, the Reserve Bank calls it open mouth operations, is start talking about his intention. Start talking about how he interprets comfortably below. Start talking about the need to get unemployment well below uh, what it used to be. And that will, if you like, uh, as he did with those other things we we're talking about, mm, right, mm. with the... Uh, uh, big tech things that will open the door, open the conversation, and, frame the debate, yeah. and that's what he. And not only in this, uh, when he was um, energy and environment minister, um, he uh, and uh, uh, sort of uh, anything like a carbon price was verboten in, mm. in the uh, coalition. He, uh, with the help of uh, the prime minister Malcolm Turnbull uh, and others, but it was you know he did the work. Um, designed the NEG, the uh, National Energy Guarantee, which would have worked to both lower prices and lower emissions. Um, and that was something that changed the debate. Uh, it happened to roll a prime minister. Turnbull lost his job. But um, that was another instance of it taking somewhere that a year before people would have thought, well, that can't happen. That's yeah, just not in yeah. the range of what's possible. Changing what's possible and then doing it. So uh, is he the right person to do it? Yes. Uh, is the time right? Um, absolutely. It comes along rarely. Uh, will it happen? I don't know. It depends what he wants on his tombstone, I guess. <laughs> yeah, depends I, how bold he is. Yeah, well, I uh, guess... It, it, it depends a lot on uh, on us. I mean, I, I think of uh, my children. They'll have children soon. Um, and... Uh, do I want them to be in, in a world where everyone can get jobs, in a country where mm. everyone can get jobs? Yes. Is that a country where the unemployment rate is 5%? No. No. Um, so uh, it's sort of quite important as well, I think. Right. So we're looking for a bit of strategic ambiguity, if nothing else, from, from Josh Frydenberg in the short term 
with eyes on on a pretty big reform prize if he can yeah, get it. Yeah, right. he he does it that at the least, but he, he tends to if you look at those other things I mentioned, he tends to do more. He he's very good at introducing things into the debate and changing the yeah. debate and mm. and then people on whatever it is, uh, you know, be it uh, the level of job seeker, um, be it how much Facebook pays News Limited and other organisations, uh, the end result by the time it happens is seen as, oh, yeah, that was in the range of what was expected. But uh, mm. when Frydenberg has done this in the past, he's delivered things which, in fact, were not in the range of what had been expected a at few years earlier. At the beginning yeah. of the process, yeah. yeah. Peter, it's been terrific talking these things through with you. Um, look forward to doing so again in the near future, probably uh, if not before, certainly shortly after the budget. That would be terrific. Um, thank you for coming into Democracy Sausage again this time. Great pleasure. And thanks for listening. We'll be back with another Democracy Sausage early next week. Until then, bye for now. 